everybody doing? We got some, some energy in the room. Dave was pretty pumped up. You know, you, he literally grunted out a beard in like a day when we were in Africa. And I'm like, I could never, never do that. Like this is, this is six months right here. It's been growing and all mine is white. It's just, God doesn't love me. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, it, it was a, an amazing trip, uh, like D- Dave said. And, uh, you know, as I was thinking about um, today, I mean, it seems like just yesterday we were on a flight. Well, it was kind of one of the longest days in history because Friday, you know, you cross the international date line and you're flying back. It's like 30 hours of flying um, and you're, you're kind of disoriented. So right now, what is it, like 3.30, you know, 4 o'clock um, in, in the afternoon. So I'm, I'm awake at this point. Um, but many times yesterday, I was not falling into my notes. And so no telling what you're getting today. Um, but I, I really feel like throughout the week, I mean, you, it's, you know, you're, you're in, you know, a forward area. You got it's like, it's a, you, the things that you see and the places that you go in it, you're, the, the ministry uh, that is ACOA is so much more than um, a, a refuge for kids, an orphanage. I mean, it has grown, I mean, that is a, just a microcosm of what has exploded. You know, they've, like Dave said, we're number 178 in terms of church plants, um, church plants all over Uganda um, and in five countries surrounding you. Like, I think every country surrounding Uganda literally had a pen in it where there was a Bible school, where there was a discovery Bible study, and where there was a church plant. Um, it, it, I, I still cannot fully take in. I still have, I think I peppered Tyler Tyler Workman, you know, with questions for seven days straight. I sat in the passenger seat many of the days we were traveling around and I asked them nine million questions. Cause I'm like, how do you go from, I think we, I think we should be moved to Africa to we planted 600 churches. I mean, it's just one of the most incredible things to see for somebody to go in 2012 and be where God has placed them. Um, and the humility in which they run the ministry. And again, there's, I'm sure there's, it's not easy. I'm sure there's bumps in the road, but I felt very good about every dollar that we spend. In fact, I left there thinking, we, I wanna absolutely, the, the more we can, we can export out of our pocket here in America over to ACOA, the better as a church. And you'll probably hear more about that as we um, move forward this year and we move into next year. Um, but I, I want to get to this place. Speaking of uh, ACOA and the, the way that people serve, we're on our sixth value, which is serving the trenches. And I love this one, and I want to read it, uh, and then we'll dive in. And I, I, you can't really read this value without reading Philippians 2, because Philippians 2 really is about this idea of what it looks like to operate as a church. And, what it's, what, and we always say, you know, church is a family. Like, if you're here for the first time, we've been doing this for six weeks or seven weeks, because Tom was here. Tom was amazing, wasn't he? I mean, Tom is the, the man. I've known Tom for a long time. But we, we are, you know, in this, we're, the idea is not that you would, uh, we're trying to get everybody to become an anchor here, which is to be a part of Ocean City Church. I mean, I would love that, but God's not really letting me preach that. Uh, this is really about freedom um, today. Like how you came in here, like what Dave was saying. It's like, my heart and the heart of this church and certainly the heart of Jesus is that you would recognize that you're in bondage and that you would be free. And today really is about that uh, because there is such freedom um, in that passage and in what God wants to to say to you about who we are um, and how God works with us. So as we read this value, think about the words of the Apostle Paul speaking to the Philippians that we would do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility that we would value others above ourselves. So serving in the trenches, we value the way Jesus served in humility. And our aim is to follow him in this way. 
We believe that leadership is formed in the trenches, not on a stage. Because we have Jesus and belong to God's family, we don't have to work our way in. We serve as a family that links arms and works hard because of the love, forgiveness, and freedom that has been given. We embrace the season that we are in and the opportunities that are in front of us. And we recognize that God is at work shaping all of us in every season. We never outgrow serving in the quiet, unnoticed places, even when we find ourselves in the visible roles. We are teachable, humble, and willing to jump in wherever our family needs us. And I love that value. And um, it is one of those things that shapes uh, who we are and the way that we serve one another. In Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul says, you're gonna bear with one another in love. Like the only way you can experience Jesus, like he talks about it this way, he says being rooted and grounded in love that you could experience the height, the depth. You could go in every direction in the depth of the way that you know, but he says that the only way that you can do that is together. And prior to that, he's saying, and that's why you're bearing with one another. And the, the, the Greek translation of that word is it's not easy. That you're gonna, you're gonna walk through things that are not easy. People are not easy. But the Apostle Paul here in Philippians is leading us to a place to say, this will make it easier for you. Follow the way of Christ Jesus. And that's like a, the, the tallest order there is. I mean, there's these passages in scripture where we're, we're supposed to, you know, as dearly loved children, we're supposed to follow God's example but we're broken and we're sinful. The penalty of sin is, has been washed away, but the presence of sin in our own heart and our own lives is, is still there. It's just, there's been a huge wide doorway of light open that says, I don't have to walk the way of death. I can choose to walk the way of light now, but we don't always do that. And we don't always treat each other the way that we, when I, when I read that value, I'm always like, okay, that's the hope, but how do we get there? This, to this place where, I mean, I was reading that, that, that last line in the value. We never outgrow serving in the quiet, unnoticed places, even when we find ourselves in visible roles. We are teachable, humble, and willing to jump in whenever our family needs us. And I love that, but it's not always the case, right? And so today I, I wanna ask the question, why is it not the case? Like, why is it not the case that, that it's, and again, I, I'm not saying that we don't have an amazing team of anchors. I think we have, we're in the 180 range in terms of anchors in our church, which is a great percentage for a church our size to have people that are committed, that have said, this is my family, and that serve. We have 60 each Sunday that are inviting you into the unending ocean of grace. Uh, if you're here, if you're still in that, that process in church, which I call dating the church, which is fine. You gotta do it. You know, do you like me? Do I like you? We're finding out, right? But eventually the hope is, is that you, you don't sit on the bench the entire time drinking lattes. You can't be here very long. You shouldn't be. I say, get engaged somewhere. If you're not engaged here in, in the family, then go somewhere else where you trust the leadership, where you wanna be a part of the church, where you wanna serve and get engaged there. Riding the pine is never an option in scripture. So as we dig, I wanna ask, you know, why is it difficult for us to, to be in this place? How can we experience the freedom of what the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, which is though I'm free from any and all men, which is like, I don't, I don't have to do anything because I need to receive somebody's approval. He says, I'm free from any and all men, but I make myself a slave to any and all that I might save some. How does that attitude happen? What's the apostle Paul talking about? And it's interesting in going uh, to Africa, I was, I was prepare, prepare, kind of preparing my heart, thinking, okay, I need a Bible. 
a journal, um, and then a, a book written by Bono, because you're going to Africa, you know? So I brought all of those things, and I probably read the book by Bono more than I read the Bible. Um, no, I, 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 it was one of those things you do. I actually, today I was gonna wear bigger, clear glasses um, and wear a shirt that says, I heart Africa, and really kind of go for it. But um, I did, I, I started reading uh, this book, Surrender by, uh, by Bono, and it really is him, like you can hear him uh, as you read it, it is amazing. I heard the audio has like the music filtered into it and it's amazing, it's, it's gonna be a New York Times bestseller. Uh, it's so poetic um, and so quotable, and I apologize that all of 2023 will have a lot of Bono quotes. Um, but um, I, 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 as I was reading it, I was thinking about the, 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 the process for Bono to go from uh, you know, a poverty, you know, you know, middle class to lower middle class, you know, Irish kid uh, to superstardom, you know? And he was, his dad was you know, not so into what he was doing. And his dad was actually a, an amazing singer, um, a very good tenor, uh, which Bono wanted to be, but his dad didn't really think he was that, all that good at singing. Um, and I, I read this and I just thought, how tragic and also uh, how telling about uh, his life. He, he says this about um, his transition in, into uh, who we all know him to be as the lead singer of U2, if you didn't know and what planet you were on. Um, there are only a few routes to making a grandstanding stadium singer out of a small child. You can tell them they are amazing, that the world needs to hear their voice and that they must not hide their genius under a bushel. Or you can just plain ignore them. That might be more effective. The lack of interest of my father, the tenor, in his son's voice is not easy to explain, but it might have been crucial. Speaking of success, which is sad and telling. It was the drive to get his father's attention. It was the drive to say, you know what, my father didn't even think. He, he was vocal about me not being good enough. Like you are a wannabe tenor. And I think about Bono, I mean, he's like the example. I mean, in the dictionary, when they say tenor, there's a picture of Bono. Um, but you've got this idea of him wanting to be successful and him being a grandstand. He didn't expect to be a grandstanding stadium singer, but he, he, he wanted to win his father's affection. He wanted to be somebody and he was wondering if he was successful. I read this article in uh, Psychology Today about success. And it says this, it says, the religion of success is a highly dangerous game. And yet many of us are unaware of how much we compulsively lay our lives at the foot of its altar. It is so woven into the way of, of being, so integrated at the machine layer of our ideology that we must listen closely in a quiet inner space to hear the ever buzzing anxiety it produces. Listen to this, it's a question that we're gonna really dig into today. Am I doing all this well enough? Of course, it's deeply inescapably human to yearn to have our basic sufficiency reflected back to us. We long for inclusion and social safety, for true membership at the very least and perhaps beyond that, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. For ascendance to a position so lofty that it lies beyond reproach. In other words, ascendance to a position that I've grown, that I've ascended to a position where I know that I'm enough. Later on in the article, it says, and yet homo sapiens in the West, that's you and me in America, have become organized by a hyper-individualism or individualistic society, not collectivistic. It demands even more. 
For so many of us, a sense of one's sufficiency is painfully not enough to quell the inner voice that demands not just belonging, but also supremacy. And I thought, when I, when I read that, I'm just thinking, this is the essence of, of the brokenness of the human race. This is the essence of sin, that we don't just wanna to belong to something, we wanna be supreme. We wanna be above. We wanna soar above other individuals because that tells us and answers the, the question, I think, that has to be answered if we want to truly serve, like truly serve out of the gospel, out of the torrent of grace, that our serving is a reaction to the generosity of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, rather than serving that people might think we're awesome. Because you can do that in ministry too. You can do that in church too. You can do that outside these walls, to, to serve, to love people, to be, be nice to people in order to receive something back. But how do we purely, as the Apostle Paul is saying, being free of people, but making ourselves a servant to any and all that we might save some? We wanna think that we're enough. We wanna believe that we're valuable and well thought of us. All of us wanna be important, capable, useful, successful. We wanna have our worth here on earth. And it's interesting, I thought about this all throughout the week. I was like, where did this question arise? Because it was in my mind as I was watching all of the things that Tyler and Leave have done. I was like, they are, this is incredible. And the questions I was asking in the passenger seat were like, how did you go from A to where you are now? Like, how do you go from the, the beginning and the genesis of something to the, the massive nature of partnering with the Tim Tebow Foundation and having a multifaceted ministry? And part of that was me being interested because I wanna carry the gospel to our community and across the globe. But deep down in places I wouldn't wanna talk about up here, it also has to do with me wanting to know, how are you successful? How do you do all these things? How do you put the organizational management structure together? Because I wanna know, because I wanna do it. I wanna, I wanna move into those spaces where we grow as a church and all. And, and again, some of that is birthed out of what Jesus has changed in me and a beautiful, wonderful thing. And some of that is dark and, and you have to keep it in check. So when I, when I read this and I ask this question, where, you know, am I enough? Where does this question arise? Well, it arises right in the beginning in Genesis. In Genesis chapter three, after Adam and Eve have basically just with their actions told God, you know what, we don't need you. We wanna be the captain of our own ship. We wanna do our own thing. We're gonna go ahead and eat the fruit. We're gonna, we're gonna be, we're gonna, our mind is gonna be opened and we're gonna be like God's. We're gonna do our own thing. All of a sudden, the, the collective of Adam and Eve and God and the Trinity and the garden, the beautiful nature of that was broken up. And there was the separation from man's sin and God's holiness. And there was now individuals that had rebelled against God. And the question arose right here in the garden. It says, and then for both of them, after they ate the fruit, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized what? That they were naked. And what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They, they, the, the first thing they do is they, they realize instantaneously that without God, they are not enough. When Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God in the garden, they lost their cover, which would be relationships, security, love, and worthiness. They lost it. God gave that to them and they no longer had it. From that day forward, they would be on a quest to replace that cover for themselves, to serve themselves to that end. 
That, that passage right there at the beginning tells us that you and I, we are on a quest. Bono, at the very beginning, to be the best tenor he could possibly be, we are on a quest to cover that question. Am I enough? Everything that we do, all the decisions that we make along the way, whether consciously or subconsciously, are moving in our sin, are moving in that direction. They're, they're things that we wanna measure. It's the resume that we, we attach to our lives. We're asking that question, am I enough? The quest to, quest to be enough is a huge part of the curse. Sometimes we just think, oh, that's the sin that separates from a God, and then I have to go through the process of the gospel. I gotta believe in Jesus, and then he died on the cross for my sins, the death, burial, and resurrections. It annihilated my sin, and I can be back with God. But we have to get down to the root level of what sin does to us on the day in, day out. And what's the deep-rooted, deep-seated thing that's there? Well, you and I, we're, we're, we're good at covering. We figured out we were born into this world sinful and we start from the very beginning tugging on our mommy's skirt going, look mommy, look mommy, look mommy, look mommy, look mommy, why? Because you wanna say, am I enough? Look what I've done. Look how I can sing. Look what I can do. Look how successful I can be. And there's modes and places in life where we settle down and we get into a place where I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Doing pretty good. My car is sweet. You know, I live this way. You know, we get, we, even when we settle down into a place where we're, we're not quite where we want to be, but we're like, and then it comes what? It's fragile at best. It comes crashing down. At the root of that and the heart of that is why we struggle to be good servants. Why we struggle to serve in the trenches, in the, in the unseen places, in the quiet places, at least with a, with a pure heart. So as you, as you got your Bible, if you look at Philippians chapter two, I mean, there's some things here. It's a, it's, a, it's a passage in scripture. If you've been in church for a while, you know, it really, if somebody's preaching a sermon on humility, of course, this passage is gonna come up. But at the root of this passage, it's, you know, there's a therefore right at the beginning. So you gotta think about, you know, what, where is it coming from? What's the, you know, what, what did Paul say before that? Because whenever you have a therefore, it's like, you know, what's the therefore? Well, you gotta look back. And he kind of explains his suffering, he explains the gospel, but there at the very end of chapter one, he basically says this, this phrase that, that you read at the, at the very end, it basically says, since you are citizens of a city, which is kind of confusing when you, when you get into the translation of live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, like you wanna live your life worthy. But that, when you take that phrase, it's, it's an entire phrase that in Greek is one word. It's like my. And you look at it and it's really talking about citizenship of a city. And when you read it in the English, it just doesn't do it. It's like, it's, he's, he's trying to get at the idea that the Philippians were proud. These people had won their independence in 42 BC, um, fighting for Octavian and they were, they were a Roman city uh, or they previously weren't a Roman city. Now they were a Roman city and they had won all these men that fought, all these families that fought, all these people that fought had won Roman citizenship. And I'm telling you, they were the proudest city in Philippi. They were known at this time in, with the, the Philippian church, when the Philippian church, when Paul was writing this letter to the Philippians who he loved, they were, they were proud. They were all in, they were into titles. They were into the who's who in their community. They were known as the most patriotic Roman city in Rome, more than, more than you know, the capital city. I mean, they were just, it was like, you know, they were, I'm a Philippian. I mean, that was their thing. I mean, they, they knew who they were and they were very proud of who they were. 
Their citizenship was everything. And the Apostle Paul is trying to help them understand that their citizenship is no longer the thing that makes them who they are. It is not what makes them enough. Your title, who you are, how you fought, how your family fought, your legacy. So all of that is underneath this passage. When you read this, it's poetry. Like as April was reading, I wish we kind of, I had said something beforehand and you could have known, but it's, it was written as a poem. And it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful, simple layout of the gospel that Jesus came down and he left his scepter of authority, all of who he was. He didn't consider himself. He didn't consider his status. And the apostle Paul saying, watch what, if, if God can descend, so can you. If, if the very king of the universe can descend all the way to planet earth and become nothing to the point of death, even death on a cross. He says, so can you. If you're looking for glory, if you're looking for honor, if you're looking for somebody to, to make much of you, if you're looking for a way to be enough, look at the end game for Jesus, that he gave his life away. He got as low as he could possibly go, lower than the ground, lower than the earth. He went into the grave itself. And then what happens? He is exalted to the highest place, the highest place of honor. If you're looking for honor, worth, and value, humble yourself. And you see that across the landscape of scripture, that humility and honor they're like doorposts. They always are sitting in the same space in the Bible, which is the opposite of the world, isn't it? Lower yourself, descend, serve in the quiet places. Those are the places of honor. Makes me wonder what heaven's gonna look like and where people are gonna be. Like who's gonna have the big house? <laughs> you know, it's gonna be the guy that was with, had the mop that was telling people about Jesus. I mean, I don't know, but it's kind of the way that it sounds. You know, the humble will be exalted. The pride will come down from that high place, right? So you look at this, that's kind of the setup for Philippians as we get, we get into this, this poetry that is a lived expression of Jesus to give us an example um, to live by. Right at the very top, it says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. And I, I looked up the, the root word of that word encouragement and one of the, the translations was mental freedom, which I thought, if you have any mental freedom, like if you're free, so it's not just the word encouragement. It was a, a very unique word for encouragement. I feel like it, in English, we, we sometimes struggle to get down to what it says in the Greek. If you have any mental freedom from being united with Christ, he's saying, hey, you should be mentally free. There should be a freedom that takes place when we become united with Christ. If you've got any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit. And he's saying, look at all that you've received, any tenderness and compassion. You've gotten all these things. He's saying, because you already have them, then all of a sudden, you don't have to worry about covering yourself. You don't have to worry about making a name for yourself. God's given you all that you need. You're, you're not united with you know, a famous guy on planet earth or united with your friend, Larry. You're, in, you're united with Christ. You're united with Christ. And he says, then if, if that's true, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and one mind. He wanted them to be unified. It's one of the, the Philippians were awesome. Paul loved them, but they, they often didn't get along. They often were fighting and scraping for different status. They had plaques. It says in, in the history books is the Philippi had plaques everywhere of everybody's title. Like this person is the director of, you know, whatever it is. It was all about titles. And the apostle Paul's going, we don't want, that's not the life that we live. We don't need that life. You don't need a plaque. You don't need something to cover you. You're united with Christ. And so just a couple of things that I wanna look at as we think about what is it that would drive us into that place of serving in the trenches? 
with no expectation of something in return. Because I think sometimes we serve in the trenches and look behind us like, who's looking? You know what I mean? We do something cool, do something nice. Like, you know, I could be, you know, on stage doing the thing, but I'm doing this instead, you know. I've got this going on, you know. I'm gonna jump in. You know, we, we do. There's a, there's, a, there's a good pat on the back for, you know, being that guy or that girl that always is willing to do something. So we have to even check that. That's why our righteousness, what? What does the Apostle Paul say? It's like filthy rags, man. It's like even our righteousness is tainted with what? With us using that and leveraging that to make ourselves feel like we're enough. So there's two, I have two points today. Really, it's the cover of dependence because what, where, what cover do we need? We have this, we need to return to a place of covering with the dependence on Jesus. And that cover of dependence leads to a cover of confidence. So number one, the cover of dependence. And this is the humility of being helped. You know, the problem for us is independence. It's what happened in the Garden of Eden. And I want to say this, because I think people, when I talk about dependence, I'm talking about we need to depend on Jesus. The garden represents we, you know, the need and the stretch that the, kind of our human nature wanting to be independent, not wanting voices from the outside to tell us how to live, tell us how to do anything. We want to succeed on our own and take credit for our own lives. And the Apostle Paul's leading us back to this place of, no, you're united with Christ. You are dependent on Christ. Everything that you receive comes from Christ. And I know what the reaction to that is. Well, this is not a problem for me because I know that I need Jesus. I came in here, I know that I need Jesus. I know that that's my life. That's the, that's the life that I need. I need Jesus. And I wanna say this, because this is gonna make some people a little upset because you, you, you think you've got it all figured out. But if you're saying, yes, I need Jesus, but I don't need anyone else, then this section is for you. Because I'm just telling you, it, it doesn't, the, the way that the word of God is written is not a solo game. It is not an in, like an independent thing. Part of how you are dependent on Jesus, actually a huge part of how you're dependent on Jesus is being willing to be dependent on other people. Now, I'm not talking about needy, but I'm talking about dependence and inner working. Because I think sometimes we get to that place like you can't serve me, you can't be generous to me, you can't help me. I wanna be the generous one. I wanna be the one that saves. I wanna be the one that rescues. I don't want anything from you. I don't want any money. I mean, I've talked about the, you know, the weirdness and awkwardness of paying the bills sometimes. You know, you got a group of people that know each other, but they don't know each other that well. And they're all kind of there, the bill comes and they're like, one check. And people are like, and one guy's like, I'll take it. You know, and then somebody goes, oh, I'll take it. You know, and it kind of gets weird. It's like, it's this thing. It's like, they wanna be generous, but they also wanna be big pants at the table paying the bill. And then they get in the car and they'll they say, do we have that honey? I don't even know if we have that money. You know, it's all that kind of stuff that's going on. The posturing that happens. By the way, if you ever take me out to dinner, you can pay, it's fine. <laughs> But it is one of those things. It's like, are you gonna be generous, you know? And what, what's behind that? Are you gonna allow somebody to give you something or help you? Sometimes it's a struggle with submission to authority, like the way that we, that, that we engage and connect to, I think sometimes people forget that with church. Like, and I'm not saying this because like, oh, Derek's the boss of everything. I'm not, there's an elder board. I mean, we, we have a, a way of doing things here. But people forget, I think in the current, like there's a, there's a wonderful, beautiful inner working in the church with an authority structure that helps us be accountable to one another. I'm accountable to the elders. And then I, I think that's a, that's a wonderful and beautiful thing that we often forget about. Like people kind of drift in and out of church. And part of the idea of shepherding in a church is that 
I wanna know where the people went. I wanna know how their family is. I wanna know if something, and what I've found out over the, you know, the last 18 or so years of pastoring is like, it, when people disappear off the face of the planet, maybe they've gone to another church and they're being pastored well, but I, I would love to know it. Um, but a lot of times people drift away and all, all of a sudden get silent and nobody's heard from them when there's crisis that's happening because people don't want to say that they're needy. They wanna grind it out and figure it out in their family and, and keep it quiet because of pride, because they don't want anybody to know that something's blown up financially or something's blown up between a husband and wife. But there's a better way. There's a better way. Another sign that we're kind of leaning more towards independence than dependence on Jesus is that you struggle collaborating, you know? And I think that's, I, I get that. Like, I think this is one of those ones I think is for the, the quiet people. I'm kind of loud. So I don't mean to throw rocks at you quiet people, but I think sometimes people that are quiet make the assumption and other people make the assumption, oh, they're so humble and quiet, but quiet people aren't humble. <laughs> Somebody's getting mad right now. Like, I am too humble. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's, a, there's quiet people that are very, very humble. But I think sometimes we, we work alone um, as, as human beings. And I think this sometimes can be people that are quiet and meek. They're like, no, I don't need any help. I don't need to do this. I'm going to do this on my, my own. Um, one, one of the reasons we do it on our own is because it is easier than bringing other people in. Not dealing with people is easier. But God didn't set the system up that way. It's easier to just, you know what, I'm gonna do it. And it's not just easier, I can do it the way that I wanna do it. I can do it, well, you say, I'll do it the right way. If I invite people in and tell them to do that, then I'm just gonna have to go redo it, you know? And so we don't collaborate. Another thing is, is when it's all done, you can stand back and go, whoop, who did it? I did it, right? Rather than a, a collaboration, rather than something that's not a collective, but an individual thing that you did, you can go, I did this. This is my thing. This is my event. This is my thing that I put together. You know, look what I have done. I have made fire, you know, but you're alone on an island like Tom Hanks, right? You're exhausted at the end of it. You should have invited people in. Yes, gone through the struggle to bear with one another, to be dependent on one another. It's an act of humility. It's an act and cover of dependence that will free you, free you. Look at Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Why did he do that? I mean, and it, it was shocking. Peter got, he's like, no, 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 there's no way I'm gonna let you do this. And Jesus is like, I, I have to do this. And it was twofold. He's saying, you need me to serve you. You need to be dependent on me. But he also was saying, you need to be covered and washed and cleaned. I mean, it was a, a foretelling of the cross saying, don't ever get to the point where you're like, no, you can't serve me because you need to be served. You need to be dependent on Jesus and you need to be dependent on each other because he then turns it on to each other. Like, this is the way you're gonna live. You're gonna wash each other's feet. You're gonna serve one another this way. The scripture continues in verse three. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, you're gonna value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, Listen to this, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some of your translations say status. He didn't consider his status. He didn't have to leverage his status. For many of us, status is the covering. Status is the thing that gives us the answer to the question, am I enough? If I've got the right status, 
then I am enough. And it's exactly why he's talking to the Philippians. So a cover of dependence on Jesus should lead to the second one, which is a cover of confidence. I love the translation in Philippians 2, 5 through 8 in the message, because it says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling, I love that word, to the advantages of that status no matter what, not at all. Jesus was confident despite the status. He didn't need that, didn't need to bring all those things with him. He ended up in a, in a dirty manger rather than being on a throne in Jerusalem. I mean, he flew right past there and, and came in the most humble, broken way you could come. Nobody even knew really who he was with the exception of a few people. And we've got this problem with insecurity. We've got this problem with status. And I would say, what are, what are we clinging to? What is it that you're clinging to to cover? Because that's the very thing that's gonna keep you locked into worrying about you. Where are you gonna, what's the next thing you're gonna do? How are you gonna continue to cover? Because when we're covering, we can't, if somebody's handing you something to carry in service, you, you can't carry anything because you're covering. I hand them that, well, no, I gotta keep covered. And we continually do it. Dave mentioned this a few weeks ago. He talked about watching the documentary with Taylor Swift. Um, and that's why he had to grow a beard. Um, <laughs> just see if you're paying attention. Um, I know that is stupid, isn't it? It's really dumb. But the, one of my favorite quotes from that documentary, and she's, she's kind of talking about how just overwhelming and awesome it is to be famous. Like she's admitting, like I, you know, walking the streets, people know your name. It's when it first happens, it's like this crazy thing. And she says this, she says, I, I give myself like five seconds a day to say, yes, this is happening. I mean, I can see her saying it. Um, and the rest of the day, I'm trying to figure out how I'm gonna make it last. It's like for a moment, I feel like I'm enough, right? And then how am I gonna, how am I gonna keep this? How am I gonna lock into this? How am I gonna make this? And then it becomes the, the, the hamster wheel of life trying to, to keep it. Why does this matter? If we're busy clinging, we don't have time for serving, right? If we're busy clinging, we don't have time for serving. Or the way that we serve, you know, is the thing that we use to show the measure of our worth. You know, I was, you know, when, when, we, uh, when we rode up to see the church plant, um, it was this overwhelming thing, like Dave said. Um, it was super, super powerful um, just to be there, to think I'm on the other side of the globe and these people know who we are. Like they're, they're celebrating and singing. Like they, we weren't, we thought we were going to, right? We thought we were just going to see the pastor and they surprised us with, um, I mean, people singing as loud as you could possibly sing. And we were, I mean, immediate, Dave and me both exploded in tears together. Um, and it was, you, you would have, everyone in here would have, especially if you gave. And they were so thankful. And it was the most humbling thing because all you wanted to say is, please don't thank me. Please don't, I mean, I, I wanted to say that over and over again. They gave us gifts. And I mean, it was just, we're like, please don't. This is the most amazing thing to think all the way across the globe. If you knew the impact that you, that you had and what you gave to, you would be absolutely floored. You'd be like, there is a, a place called Shechem in Uganda, Africa, in the middle of nowhere, Shechem City Church, you know? It's awesome. 
And these people are just, they couldn't stop smiling. Me and Dave talked about how our jaws were sore because I think I smiled for like an hour and a half. I was like, this is surreal, man. It was crazy. But one thing I noticed in their leadership, you know, thinking it's, it's a missionary planted church, you know, by an American organization called the Coet Refuge. There, there was no Americans running that church. The people that were serving there were all Ugandan. And I mean, all of them. And there's two reasons for that. I, I kind of ascertained this. Tyler wouldn't say it directly because he's too nice and he's too sweet and too humble. But I kind of realized why, why does he like all his, in his organization, it's him and leave basically. And there's sometimes a few other white people there, but it's him and leave and 135 Ugandans are on staff there, which still blows my mind. Like they're, it's over 150 now, 150. That's crazy. But, but I think in our mind, we're like, well, why not Americans? Why don't we have Americans over there carrying the gospel to all these five countries that are around Uganda? This is great. All their missionaries are Ugandan. Well, there's a couple reasons for that. He didn't say it just like this, but I'll say it like this because I could see it happening. Ugandans are better at reaching Ugandans, right? They just are. They're, they're always gonna be. Um, and the other thing that I heard him say, but he kind of said it quietly, is people from the West come with a resume citing what they're good at. People from Uganda come with work boots saying, what do you need? Yeah. Yeah, we, we come going, look. And I think we come into church that way sometimes. Like, this is what I've done. I've taught them, you know, 15 Bible studies. I'm pretty good at it, you know. I'll lead your small group. I'll lead your marriage course. Have you seen me and my wife interact? It's great. We, 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 it's what we do. It's how we say we're enough. We walk in immediately in church and we're, the, you know, the feathers go up and we're telling everybody. We need, the, the, the beautiful, when the church is beautiful is when we show up and we're like, whoosh, whoosh, work boots, where do you need me? You don't even mention what it is that you're good at. You're just like, where's the gap? I'm gonna fill it. Where's, how can we invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace? I don't care if I'm on a stage or if I'm in the corner, if I got a broom, I gotta clean the toilet, it doesn't matter. People are gonna know Jesus and they're excited about it. And we should be the same way. We should show up with our work boots and that we should never get rid of them, ever. There should never be a point where you, you find your way to this position and not everybody will, but you end up in a spot where you're on a stage and trust me, you don't, you don't wanna be up here. The, uh, the boots should never go away. There should be a confidence that you've gotten from your relationship with Christ that allows you to serve in, in, the, in the corners of the church, in the corners of the ministry of Jesus Christ, carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's the way that it should be. One thing I noticed about Tyler Workman, the whole time we were there, he didn't step on one stage, ever. His people were doing it. All his 150 people, his, his core leaders would pr present. They were the ones talking. And I know my man was probably grinding his teeth at the way they were presenting sometimes. Like, I, know, I mean, he could probably do it better in some ways. But in humility and because it's the way the organization exploded, God blessed it through the workman's humility. The only time I saw him kind of spring into action is in the middle of the night or the middle, we were at night at dinner, one of his employees that he doesn't even like all that much calls him and says, I'm broken down. And we're in Uganda, Masaka, which is not like the, any, the nicest part. Um, I mean, at night. And he's like, I'm broken down and I don't know what to do. And he, my man goes to his house with me and Dave because we had to see it happen. We're like, this is man stuff. We gotta go. And Dave's like, I got a beard. Um, and we go and Tyler jumps on the ground and fixes the guy's car right there in the middle of the street. I mean, people are walking behind us. I'm like, am I gonna get thumped in the back of the head? Like people are going, it's dark 30 out. 
And he's under there and we're all holding our iPhone lights and trying to see where the hose goes and he fixes it right there. That's what I saw him do the rest of the time. He sat back in the shadows and watched his team lead. And I learned so much watching that. I was like, this is how, this is why 600 churches, this is why it's exploded. This is why the apostle Paul says, I'm free from any and all men, but I make myself a slave. I make myself a servant to any and all that I might save some. And I'm telling you what, they're saving them at Akoa. They're saving them in Uganda. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And it, it, it gets to this place of showing up with your work boots. Showing up with your work boots. You know, if you get into verse six, it says, who being in very nature, this Jesus that we follow, his very nature, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped for, for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, his descending by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. The road to honor and worth is humility. We think it's ascending. That's getting the spotlight. Scripture says, nope, it's descending. Always, always, when we read it in scripture. And it really starts with the humility of showing up. You know, there was this moment when we were all together and we were going into, we were visiting, and they have a disability program. I mean, there's, if you, there's a program, they've got it. They have a disability program, 50 kids with disabilities that are in the program scattered all over the place um, that they, they bring food to, that they, help with social services. They do, oh, I mean, I can't even get into it. But there's this picture, uh, and I wanna show it to you. Look at that, sweet. Um, and I was looking at this, and I was thinking, we, we walked into this house, and it was probably an eight by eight. I mean, it was a box. It was the whole house, you know, it was, you know, just like this. I mean, that might be a little too small, but you couldn't fit anything in there. And we were all in there, crammed in there, and this family was so happy because we're bringing food. Um, the, their child has cerebral palsy and is screaming. They're trying to get him into this, this chair that he's supposed to sit in uh, for several hours a day to help straighten his body out. It's all contorted from cerebral palsy. Um, they're living in difficult conditions and they're the happiest people you've ever seen. They're just smiling. They're so happy. They're holding the bag of grain like this, like, oh man, we got food forever. And it's just overwhelming. I mean, there's no way you don't cry. I mean, you don't have a soul if you don't go in there and tear up, but you're trying to hold it back because it's a good day for them. You don't wanna go, oh my gosh, look at the way you live. And you're just like, mm. I'm like, Dave, come on, man. Just get to get, we were both, it was both of us. We were both trying to get it together. And the baby's just crying, crying, crying. And Caitlin, I love it. She's the director of Groundswell here. And she, the mom's kind of, the baby's just writhing, just moving around. And Caitlin just snatches and says, give me that baby. And instantaneous, you know, the screaming. And it was loud in there, eight by eight. Um, baby's quiet. And that was, we had to capture it. It just seemed so happy, so content, fully dependent, you know, very, you know, needy. And in that kind of in that space. And I just thought about me and you and what we need most at the end of the day. And what's amazing, the screaming was kind of like that. 
not quite, but in the ballpark. But what we need, you know, what is it that we need? You know, what are, what are we... And I, I feel like that's what we need, to fall into Jesus' arms, to be in that space where we're willing to say, man, I, I am not, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I mean, the, the realization when, when we go to answer that question is, we're just not, but we are because of Him. That's the gospel. And if we're wondering if we're worth something, if we're wondering if we're valuable, if we're wondering if we're enough, he's saying, because you're with me, because you're, you're, you're engrafted into to my family, you're seated in the highest places. And I'll never give up on you. I'll never stop chasing you. I'll never stop pursuing you. I'll always get to that space with you where I wanna hold you. And you should always be in that space with me where you wanna be held. Where you wanna to, want to lean up and say, I'm not enough, but with you I am. That will change everything about you and it will change everything about this church. Let's stand.